Beautiful singing this morning. Amen. It's good stuff. Y'all sound great. We're going to have to enlarge our choir space if all of you are going to get up there. That was good. The easiest lie we believe is that we can hide our hearts. I was extremely fascinated with a 2002 movie uh, that Steven Spielberg put out starring Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Do y'all remember it? It's called Catch Me If You Can. It's a story of a guy by the name of Frank Abagnale. Real, true story. Um, And Frank actually posed as or or was an imposter for uh, eight different people over the course of a few short years. Now, what Frank did was, there was one time he worked for Pan Am. And like, so he, he made flights all, all around the world. Uh, there was another time he impersonated a, uh, uh, someone in the, the Louisiana judicial system, uh, in their justice system. And so, you know, he, he had some things going on there. There was, there was one time I was, I was reading this last week that he was in, in an apartment complex and he didn't want to put on his application what, his, what, what, like, what he did. And so instead he put on there, he's like, well, you know, if I'm a deadbeat, like they're not going to believe me. So I'm going to put on, I'm a doctor. And so he wrote down, down there, doctor. Well, apparently one of the guys in the apartment complex was walking his dog one day and sees Frank. And he's like, hey, I heard you're a doctor. I'm a doctor too. You're a doctor, right? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure I am. And so the guy said, well, the guy, the, the, the doctor we had that was the head of all of our new fresh doctors just quit. So I need someone to be all, you know, over our residence right now. Can you do it for us for a little while and fill in? Sure. Why not? And so he did that. Like he had eight different things and uh, he wrote bad checks. He, he, he was a master of forgery. He was the master con man as far as uh, most recent history and eventually went to jail for it. Uh, he went to jail in Sweden uh, and France tried to, to charge him. And then he also went to jail in, um, uh, here in America just need to let you know that eventually the U.S. government, after a few years, bailed him out. And they said, hey, if you promise to work for us, this, this doesn't sound familiar, right? If you promise to work for us uh, and help us catch the people that do what you used to do before we caught you, uh, then, then like you, you can go scot-free. Sure, why not? So anyway, um, I was reading his history, and I was super fascinated with Frank. And so I called his office in Oklahoma because I'm the kind of guy, like, if, if I know that they have an office, I'm going to look up the phone number, and then I'll give the phone number a little bit of a call, and I'll just see if I could ever talk to these people. And so I talked to the, one of their receptionists, and they said, hey, go on and leave a message for him. He's not in right now. He's in D.C. And I said, okay. And so um, I left a message, and if I've ever left any of you messages, then you know that they're really long, right? I'm so sorry. And it was so long that it cut off. <laughs> Like, they're never going to call me. Well, they called me back. And I said, I've got a question because I got a question for Mr. Abingdale because I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Like someone who's a con man, someone who's used to forgery, someone who's done their whole life of hiding their heart. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as, as to why. So I've got just one question, if you could pass it along to him. She said, okay. Uh, she said, well, what is it? And so I said, what is the allure of hiding your heart. 
what is the allure of hiding your heart? So she says, okay, well, I'll get it to him. I don't know if he'll, he'll be able to answer you in time. Uh, but uh, in the event that he can't, here's a few more resources to look through, to watch, and to read, and, and, and you can see for yourself. And as I was doing my reading, as I was looking at this stuff, in his autobiography, he says something to answer that question, what is the allure of hiding your heart, that it's really telling of a lot of folks. He says that somewhere, sometime, somebody did something wrong. And that's why we run, and that's why we try to hide our hearts. And, th- and that's, that's, that's the, the whole reason why we go down that dark road. The easiest lie that we believe is that it's possible to hide our hearts. And like parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like if you've got a kid in here, or if you've got a kid, you know, a little bit farther off, if, you've got, if you're a grandparent in here, like maybe your kid's in here, and like now they're growing up and they've got their kids, and so like you're just kind of like watching it all unfold. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I just wanted to pick on the teenagers just for a moment. Teenager comes in from a long day, right? Y'all have long days sometimes, not our seniors, but our other ones. They have long days sometimes, and they come home, and they have this look on their face, and so mom and dad ask the question, how was your day? Or they'll say, how are you? And almost every student will have the same exact answer, won't they? They'll say one word, fine. And then like they march up to their room, they slam the door, and they scream into their pillows, and like all of a sudden you hear death metal music going on in their bedroom, and you're like, is there a rock concert going on in there? What in the world? I just asked, how was your day? And they just said, fine. And they, Sorry, teens. I love you. And like for those of you that like maybe it's like, hey, I don't have a teenager, I don't have a kid, I don't have a grandkid, I've never seen that, I don't know what you're talking about, like you do. Because you've got coworkers and you've got friends and your coworkers or your friends or the people that are close to you, like you can see it in their faces, like you can see like the cracks in their faces and you can peer into them and you know that they're having a bad day or that there's something bad going on in their life or something that's really heavy on their heart. And so you, you ask them like, well, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, how can I help you? And they're like, they're, they, they just shut down and they don't want to let you into that, Right? Or maybe it's with, like, with your spouse or with your, you know, like maybe you've got a family member, your parents, a loved one. And they're just asking that question, like, why won't you let me in? Free tip, by the way. If you ever want to really get into someone's life, Charles Stanley, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley out of Atlanta, he said that what he would do is he would, like, when he wanted to have a really hard conversation with his kids, uh, like he would get them in the car and they'd go on a long drive. Where are you going to go? There's the door, you know. Anyway, so just for a moment, whether it's your kid, your teenagers, your, 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 your parents, you know, your coworker, the easiest lie that we believe is that we can hide our hearts. So you can take just the next couple moments and you can nudge the, next, the person next to you and say, hey, this sermon's for you. You really need to listen right now. I'll give you a moment just to do that because I know that you're, you're thinking, hey, you need to let me in and it's all this other kind of stuff and you should listen. Except we do the same thing, don't we? Like, it's not just that it's the person next to us that shuts us out and won't let us in. Like, we do the same exact thing. And we are so good at painting our faces and putting on a mask or putting on a good front or like making it to where people don't think there's anything wrong with us because we need to hold a, a, you know, a straight face. And guys, like, not to pick on you, but I am one. 
like we do it all the time. We're like, oh, it's whatever, girly, to express my emotions, so I'm not going to do it. Like, I took the sociology classes. I know how we're wired. And, like, we don't ever want to share our hearts. Right, women? Ladies, like, you, if you could just get your man to just tell you, like, what they're really thinking. My wife, she has to tell me, she's like, use your words, because, like, I don't know how to process these things sometimes. But the only thing that it does is that it hurts your family, and it hurts your friends, and it hurts your coworkers, and it hurts everyone that's closest to you. And even more important than that is that it hurts your relationship with the God of the universe, with Jesus Christ. When you hold things inside, and when you're not transparent, and when you're, you're trying to hide your heart, and when you're not open with it, it is hurting, ultimately, your relationship with Jesus. And yet Jesus sternly warns us against this. Matthew chapter 23, Matthew is an eyewitness of Jesus, and so he had recorded this specific incident that I want to share with you today. So go on and flip to Matthew 23. And it's something that you and I both do. It's not just the person that's next to us. But Matthew's recording this specific event in the Bible, and and Jesus sternly warns you, and and, and and he warns me, and he warns our friends, and he warns our our family members this, that outward religiosity will murder your heart. Like when you put this outward religious face on, it's going to destroy your heart. We're going to look at it in just a moment, but it'll disable you in all sorts of ways, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, And after it's done that, it will do it physically as well. So what's really great is that Jesus doesn't just like punch us in the face and then, hey, don't be religious and then walk out. Like he gives us one vital truth to really be alive. But before we get into that, Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Jesus seven different times in this passage speaks directly to the outwardly religious people. The, the outwardly religious folks that, that are going to paint their faces. The, we call them the professional God followers uh, in Scripture. They're called the Pharisees. And he says seven different times these same three words. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. Seven different times. And we're going to look at two of those in the passage in just a moment. But seven different times. He's like, woe to you, you outwardly religious people. Instead of having the right heart. In fact, Matthew records in in Matthew chapter 5, this thing that we call the Beatitudes. Instead of having, you're God followers. You should know this. But he says, instead of having the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those at this and blessed are those at that and happier those at this. <clears throat> Jesus says, woe to you, you outwardly religious people, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You that promote outward facades, you, facades, you, you secretly keep darkness inside of you. Look at the next phrase. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside they're full of greed self-indulgence. I have a question. I like questions. Sometimes I leave long voicemails of nothing but questions. But I have a question. Any of you husbands out there ever been asked to do the dishes? 
I heard one, yes, immediately. Now, of you husbands or, or teenagers that have been asked to clean the dishes, any of you ever only clean the outside of those dishes? If that is you, I want to say congratulations for still being alive. Most wives would have, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, it does no good cleaning the outside of your dish. None whatsoever. And it'll prolong your life if you clean the inside. Trust me. Anyway, if you clean the outside, Jesus says, you clean the outside, but you, the, the inside is full of two things, greed and self-indulgence. Or the inside of your heart is full of like you just wanting to take and take and take and take. And then on top of that, the Greek understanding of self-indulgence is a lack of self-control. Jesus is saying here, like when you clean the outside of your heart or the outside of your body or the, the religious part of you, Jesus is like, you leave the insides filthy because you just want to keep taking and you don't want to do the hard work of heart work. And so instead, as you are taking, you lose control. You are out of control. There's a lack of self-control going on in your body at the moment. These external rituals tried to hide these things. Can I tell you this? That rituals can ruin your morals. Like, I'm not saying that, that they will ruin your morals. Because like rituals are good. Like cleaning, like we were talking in Sunday school just a little bit ago. By the way, if you're in here, if you're a guest with us, we'll let you know at the 915 hour. Uh, we've got a thing called Sunday School Bible Study we would love for you to be a part of. In our class today, in our young couples class, um, we were talking about like prayer and like having prayer lives and, and what, what it looks like to have more prayer in our lives and is, what works for you and what doesn't and what hinders you. And one of the things was like structure. Man, if we have some structure going on, and so those are good things as long as you're not neglecting your heart. As long as you don't neglect what's going on inside of your heart, rituals can be a good deal. But once you start neglecting your heart, that's when it's bad. Jesus kind of elaborates a little bit more here about verse 23, a little bit later. Um, in verse 28, he says this. He says, in the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people. You seem like you're doing the right thing. You're living the right kind of way. You're punching the right religious card. But inside, you're full of what? Hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he says, here's why. Look at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like what? You are like whitewashed tombs, right? Have you ever heard of the term whitewashed before? I will, I, I've confessed before. I've been transparent with you. I forget things very easily. But I'll never forget where I first heard this term for whitewashed and understood it, eighth grade, Mrs. Wilhite's reading class. It's a specific book that I was supposed to read in class, and I did. Back then I read books. <laughs> and then I got out of it in high school, and then my grades dropped. Anyway, I read a book. Do you all remember what book it is? Close. Tom Sawyer. It was by Mark Twain. And specifically, it was the event where Tom was supposed to wash or whitewash or paint a fence. Kind of part of punishment, but also, hey, we're going to keep you out of the fun stuff that you're supposed to be doing. And he had a friend that walked by and saw Tom and, you know, he wanted to talk to Tom about it. And 
And then he kept on walking. And then Tom was trying to figure out a way to get out of this. So he had another friend named Ben who started to walk by. And I just want to read you a little bit from this. It's chapter 2, Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mr. Mark Twain. Tom went on whitewashing, paid no attention to the steamboat. Ben stared a moment and then said, Hiya, you're a stump, ain't you? No answer. Tom surveyed his work with the eye of an artist, and then he gave his brush another gentle sweep and surveyed the result as before. Ben ranged up alongside of him. Tom's mouth watered for the apple that Ben was carrying, but he stuck to his work. And so Ben said, Hello, old chap, you got to work, hey? Tom wheeled suddenly and said, Why, it's you. Ben, I wasn't even noticing. Say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to swim and I am. Don't you wish you could? But of course you'd rather work, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Tom contemplated the boy a bit and said, Well, what do you call work? Why, ain't that work? Tom resumed his whitewashing and answered carelessly, Well, maybe it is and maybe it ain't. All I know is it suits Tom Sawyer. Oh, come now, you don't mean to let on like that. The brush continued to move. Like it? Well, I don't see why I oughtn't to like it. Does a boy get a chance to whitewash a fence every day? And it's interesting because Tom eventually convinces Ben to give Tom his apple and to paint the fence for Tom. And not only does he convince Ben to do that while he's sitting by the side of a tree eating this apple, but he convinces all of his other friends that start to pass by as well to whitewash this fence for him. It baffled me. It's an image that stuck with me all of my life. Of all the things that I could remember, I remember Tom Sawyer and whitewashing fences. But I, I, it's a similar metaphor, not the same. And so I'm like, well, what exactly was going on here? Because see, Jesus worked in metaphors a whole lot. Which is interesting because this passage where Jesus is talking to us about whitewashing, where Jesus says, you are like whitewashed tombs. Jesus was using it as a metaphor, but he was also using it as a real life example as well. To understand this a little bit more, I I looked up what Mark Twain himself said about this incident. And so Mark Twain says this. He says, in order to make a man or boy covet a thing, it is only necessary to make the thing difficult to attain. Or another way of putting it is in order to make a man or a boy want or greed or take, take, take a specific thing. All you got to do is to make it seem difficult. And see, we we see all these other people. Man, social media is terrible about that. We see all these other people that have whitewashed, put filters is what they call it on social media, their lives. And everything looks rosy. And everything looks good. And everything has this wonderful appeal to it. And we want that so much. And it's so hard for us to attain that. And we're like, well, maybe if we just had hearts like they did. Maybe if I could just be like that person. But we can't make ourselves totally clean on the outside. So we settle for just whitewashing our hearts. Did you know that Jesus sees through the whitewashed the whitewash of your hidden heart. You can whitewash your heart all you want to. But Jesus Christ, who's from beyond eternity to beyond eternity, he sees your heart. 
And he knows what's going on. It doesn't matter how much you try to hide it. Jesus sees what's going on within you. Jewish people had this reason or this understanding like where it says, when Jesus says, hey, uh, you've, you've whitewashed like a tomb. Jewish people had an understanding or, or a ritual as to why they whitewashed tombs. I want to read you a few scriptures. I, I put them in your notes. You can look up later. But in Numbers chapter 19, verse 16, Anyone in the open field, Moses writes, who touches a person who has been killed by the sword or has died, or a human bone or a grave, will be unclean for seven days. See, the Jewish people had this understanding like, uh, about cleanliness, and if you accidentally touched a grave, a dirty grave with dirty dead things inside of it, decomposing, it's a wonderful picture, then you would be unclean. And so the Jewish people, they said, well, we don't want to be unclean. So what we're going to do is we're just going to whitewash these tombs fairly regularly. Is I think it's what we'll do. So they did that over and over and over again. They're like, if I can just keep covering over these tombs, then everything will be fine. I want to read you. Ezekiel's got a couple different stories about whitewashing and specifically the metaphor behind whitewashing and the demise that's going to happen when you hide your hearts. Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 10 through 15. Since they have led my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace. For when someone builds a wall, they plaster it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who plaster it that it will fall. Torrential rain will come, and I will send hailstones plunging down in a bitter cold into the southeast United States. Sorry, that's not, I don't know where that came from. And a windstorm will be released. Now when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the coat of whitewash that you put on it? So this is what the Lord God says, verse 13, I will release a windstorm in my wrath. Torrential rain will come in my anger and it will freeze in South Mississippi. I don't know where this comes from. So cold outside. I will tear down the wall you plastered with whitewash and knock it to the ground so that its foundation is exposed. The city will fall and you will be destroyed within it. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 15, after I exhaust my wrath against the wall and against those who plaster it with whitewash, I will say to you, the wall is no more and neither are those who plastered it. Wow, that is frightening to think that when we hide our hearts and whitewash our hearts of the ruin that will come to us, it doesn't get any easier necessarily in Isaiah chapter 29, verses 13 through 15. The Lord said, Because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and their worship consists of man-made rules. <laughs> I got tickled with that one. Because some of us, we have so many documents of rules and rules and rules and rules and laws and rules that we miss the genuineness of following after Jesus wholeheartedly because we have all these hoops that we have to run through. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise men will vanish and the understanding of the perceptive will be hidden. Listen to verse 15, Isaiah chapter 29. Woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their works in darkness and say, who sees us, who knows us. Interesting here is that they go to great lengths to hide their hearts from the Lord. And we do that too. 
when we're hiding our hearts from the Lord, we will go to great lengths to do so. When we're hiding our hearts from our parents, we will go to great lengths to do so. When we are hiding our hearts from our friends and our family and our coworkers, we will go to great lengths to do so. But God wants your heart, not just the whitewashed outside. I want you to lean into this vital life-giving truth that I kind of alluded to earlier, right? Just this one little thing I think will give you a lot of life in inside of you this week and this new year. It's this, that transparency lends trust. When you are transparent, it lends trust. Again, to go with my introduction earlier to pick on students for a moment, say a student, because I've seen this happen many times, breaks their trust with their parent. Maybe they sneak out. Maybe they get some alcohol. Maybe they whatever, whatever, whatever. They break their trust with their parent, and they want to build that trust back. You know the way that a student can build their trust back? By the way, I've preached this to them on Wednesday nights, so they're not hearing anything new. But now you as parents and grandparents get to hear it as well. The way a student builds trust back with their parents is being entirely open with mom and dad. Hey, here's my phone and all my social media accounts. You have full access. That's bold. Well, it's private. No, not if you're living underneath mom and dad's roof, it's not. They're your parents and they are charged in this little time of managing you as a teenager to make sure that you grow up and honor God. And so being fully open with everything that you do, I've seen students like get someone else's phone and like text from it and like do things on it. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't want to whitewash your heart that way. You need to be fully open and transparent. Seen marriages and relationships and friendships break and crumble, and they're like, they come to me asking for help. They're like, What do we do? I don't know if I can trust him or trust her ever again. And I said, You know what you need to do? Y'all need to be fully transparent with each other because transparency lends trust. And as you begin to become transparent in those relationships and those friendships and those working relationships, then trust can start to be built back again. And with Jesus Christ, as you're saying, hey, I want to be open with you, God, and I don't want to hide anything from you ever again, God. And I want you to see every little bit of me, and I want to be honest about it. And Jesus can begin to do that hard work of heart work within you. I love our, by the way, I I appreciate that you're here this morning on Sunday morning. It is great. You fought the bitter cold. I thought I got frostbite on the way in. I'm going to have to check my toe later. It's bad. But you made it here, and I'm so excited. And I love seeing you on Sunday mornings. But I have not ever in my whole life ever seen as much life-changing spiritual work happen than on what we do on Wednesday nights. Bar none. Because on Wednesday nights, just to let you know, we've got some great stuff for preschool and for children, for students. I know I'm one of them. But like what we do with adults is amazing. There's some stuff in choir and they're praying together and they're working together. There's a prayer meeting that meets in here on Wednesday nights if you're looking for something to do. But we have a women's group that meets. And like they, they are open and they are transparent. A few of them braved the icy conditions of South Mississippi yesterday because they've been so open and transparent with each other that they had another woman that was hurting. And they're like, we're going to go minister to this other woman that's hurting, even if it costs us our lives. Even when James says, don't go. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't say no, don't go. In my, in my head, I did. 
But these women, they've been open with each other and they've been transparent with one another. And then like I've actually seen as a result, women, not just because they come on Sunday mornings, because they come on Wednesday nights, come and join our church saying, hey, I want to serve here because of what's going on with our women's group on Wednesday nights. Same thing with the men, man. I tell you, Pastor Brett, last Sunday, if you weren't here last Sunday, it was a little cold, it was a little rainy. If you weren't here last Sunday, I want to let you know it's on iTunes. You can podcast it or you can go on our website. Listen to the message Pastor Brett did last Sunday morning about being a biblical man. Seven things, super easy to listen to and hard to do. But he was preaching about it. And I see those men on Wednesday nights from six to a little after seven. They are, do, they are so transparent. I am glad I'm not in that class because there's one specific question. Y'all can write this down. There's one specific question that they ask every Wednesday that scares me to my bones. And I bet if some of you men and women were asked this question today, you would quit coming to church. It's this question here. What question do you not want me to ask you right now? And those men ask each other hard questions on Wednesday nights because they're open and transparent. If you want change in your life, you need to be open and transparent and give your heart to being open. It's a beautiful thing. Here's the deal. People know and this is why we, we whitewash ourselves, and this is why we plaster ourselves with, with bright, light things, because we know that light things or bright things attract others. And we're like, you know, if I can just battle this darkness within me, then I'll just, I'll just be as bright as I can be on the outside. But inside, you're wilting, and you're dark, and it's deadly inside. I want, I want, I want you to listen a little bit more. Just one more verse out of Isaiah 29. Verse 19, when we are open and when we're transparent with the Lord, listen to what he says. The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord. Like when you are open and transparent with the Lord, the humble will have joy after joy. And you know what's really great about that word humble in the Hebrew? What it's talking about is that you are bowed. The bowed will have joy after joy. And you know what's interesting about that word bowed? It's like when you're bowed, you are what? You're vulnerable. You're open. You can't protect your neck. You can't get up and, and engage in fisticuffs. That's a good word. We should bring that back. No, we, no, we shouldn't. That's fighting. Anyway, the, the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, when we are open and transparent, and when we are humble before him, we won't get happiness after happiness. We will get joy after joy. And those are the things that make us light up. Matthew, going back to Matthew, what do you do? What do you do to become the person that Jesus has designed you to be? Well, we've looked at a few verses. There's one, if you are meticulous about taking notes, and you've noticed that there's one particular verse that we've skipped. It's Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. This is it. This is the one verse. Jesus says this. First, above all things, before anything else, before all the external things, because some of us are going to try to clean all the external things in our lives. And so we're like, well, I'm going to clean up my bank account. I'm going to clean up the way I spend money. I'm going to clean up uh, my routine. I'm going to clean up my, my language. I'm going to clean up my physical fitness. I'm going to clean up all these external things. You know, I might even clean up how I talk and, 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 and the things that I put into my mind. 
Jesus is like, no, 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 don't clean the external things first. He says, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also become clean. When you do the hard work of heart work, of cleaning the inside, Jesus gets a hold of you and he takes care of everything else. My question for you this morning as we close is will you be transparent? I'm not saying you have to write a tell-all book, but some of you sitting in here this morning, like your heart right now is beating really, really fast and really rapidly, and you're like, I have no clue like why I'm feeling stressed out or anxious at this moment. I'll tell you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking in your life because he's drawing you to himself. I know that because I've been there. So some of you know right now what you need to be open and transparent with. Some, for some of you, a few of you in here, you've never been open and transparent with the Lord saying, I want to live for you. I want to live for you, God of the universe, who stepped off of your throne. Like he, Jesus could have been on his throne forever and ever and ever. And yet Jesus instead came into this world and he walked 30 years-ish in a world just like you and I in the dirt and the muck and the mire tempted in every way that you and I are for you and for me. And then this Jesus, not only did he do that, he goes wretchedly to this cross that he would indeed bear this excruciating, manipulating, humiliating cross. And then he gave his life on that cross for you and for me. Not so that we would hide our hearts from him and whitewash our faces and think that outward religiosity would ever save us. No, no, no. He gave his life. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit that will come and reside inside of you. When you give your heart to Jesus, Jesus rose again, defeated death, so that all that believe in him and that are open with him, that give their hearts to him, will not die, but live forever with him. Some of you, a couple of you this morning, you know your heart's beating fast. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day that you say for the first time, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to give my heart for you. I want to surrender everything I am to you. Some of you need to be open with your spouse about something. I don't know what it is, but your heart's beating fast and you know what it is. And you need to be open with them. You need to have a hard conversation today and you might need to take a long drive. Some of you are like, man, I just, I just need to be open with my friends, I need, to be, I need to come on Wednesday nights. I need to get inside of a group that cares for me and wants the best for me. Some of you are like, I just need to quit living in sin. I don't know what it is, but in just a moment, we're gonna sing a song called I Surrender All. Some of you sang it before. Many of you probably memorized it. I surrender all. But in these next few moments, I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna ask you to stand. And some of you are like, dude, I want to sing this for the first time, like, and mean every bit of it. Jesus, I want to surrender all of it. Some of you are going to come down front to either me or Pastor Brett and say, hey, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. And some of you are like, dude, I just need to come to the altar and I need to be open with God. However it is that the Lord is working in your heart this morning, I want you to be faithful to respond in that way. Will you pray with me?